let's uh, let's go to the Father in prayer again. Lord Jesus, we come to you, God. We come to you through the Lord Jesus, and we we do say, "Who is like you?" When we behold you in your Word and see you as you are, as you presented yourself, we can say, "Who is like you?" And woe is me. And yet you have come, you have sent your Son into this world to deliver us, to deliver us from evil, to deliver us from sin, to deliver us to God the Father. And Father, before the world began, before there was time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had planned this in detail for this to happen. So we praise you, our great God. We come before you with singing and praises in our hearts, though many of us have come in here having a week, quite frankly, from hell. God, we need you. Even this very week, we have, we have been burdened down by the weight of broken and strained relationships. We have been burdened down by our own sin. We have been burdened down by the weight of the sin of others and, and the sins that those people have committed against us. And you say to us, the Lord is your salvation. Who is like you? Faithful in love. So we look to you, O oh God. We have sung about you. We pray that you would receive those songs of praise and glory and bring glory to yourself through your people. And Father, we ask that you would help us to op open our eyes to see Jesus Christ for who he is in your word. He is our salvation. The salvation is not just a thing. It is a person. And thank you for this book of Mark that you have allowed us to be in that has shown us Jesus Christ. We pray that you would open our hearts to him. They would not be cold this morning. Would you light our hearts on fire? Would you awaken our minds to behold Jesus and to believe him for how you present him in your word? Our great God, we pray that as we unfold your word, you would be unfolding it to us as we open your word, you would open our hearts and our minds to you. God, we will be blind. We will go out of here not knowing what you said unless the Spirit moves among us. So we're asking you to do this. We're asking you to behold the gospel that it may change us and that we may speak it with our mouth. God, we're not asking that only for us, God. We, we ask that for the students that have gone out from us. God, we thank you for the students that come here from all over, quite frankly, all over the world. And we thank you for some of those who join us in our assembly on Sunday mornings. We ask, God, that you would help them as they go to be living on mission. God, we pray for Chris Erickson as he has gone back to Southern California, having finished his degree. Would you help him, God, to find work to find a place where he can serve and love you and love the community where he is going to be. We pray that you would help him in every way to find his identity in you. We pray that we would hear of great things that you are doing there in Southern California. We pray that you would be with those that have, have gone out from school, have finished a semester or even finished their degree, God, that you would help them uh, as they go on even in their work, to be living on mission for you, to be making disciples of all nations who live in awe of the gospel, who embody the gospel and give their lives away for the gospel. We pray that you would do that for your namesake. And God, as we are ascending church and summertime can feel discouraging for some of us and summertime can feel, uh, it, it, can, it can feel a little heavier for some of us. God, we pray that as, as you are giving us this time together, we would see the fruit of the gospel go out into all the world. God, we, we, we've seen you do that. Even in your word, we behold 12 apostles go out and disciples go out and spread the gospel. We pray that you would let us be a part of that here. So help our students. God, I pray that you'd help the teachers that teach at OSU and teach in the school system here in Corvallis as they are on summer break, that you would help them to be, to be planning and conspiring how they can live lives worthy of the gospel. 
God, we don't pray that just for our people. We pray that for the churches you have allowed us to partner with. Father, we thank you for Southside Community Church. And we pray for their assembly as they gather together. Pray for Pastor Joe Kimmel and the elders there and the leaders of that church that you would encourage them in the gospel this morning. And that people in that community would, would see a united fellowship. We pray for Pioneer and our brother Jeremy who has gone out from us to be planting a church. We pray that you would give them success in proclaiming the gospel and united around the gospel. We pray that more people would come to know you. God, and as we even go out from, from here, we thank you for the Northwest Church Network that we are a part of. We thank you for this church that has just joined, Edwards Bible Church in Washington. And we pray for the fruit of the gospel to be planted as the seed of the gospel is planted, the fruit of the gospel would go out. We pray for our brother Jeff as he preaches, that you would give him boldness and clarity and gentleness. We pray for Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver and Andrew. We pray the same thing for them and for Selwood Baptist Church in the Selwood neighborhood of Portland. And we pray for Jeff Lassine and the elders. And we, we pray that they would have a, a steadfast witness there that would be bearing fruit, that we would see it and we would rejoice. God, we do pray for a revival among us. And if it doesn't happen here, we pray that it happens in other places for your glory. Let your kingdom come, oh God. God, and we pray for uh, other ministries, parachurch ministries, God, that you have been using even among us, the navigators and young life. And, and we pray for Love, Inc. In our, in our city. God, we pray that the gospel would be central, the disciples would be made. And even as they're going to be in a planning session and a rest session here in the summer, we pray that you would use that for them to ins to rest and restoration that they may give themselves to making disciples and, and to proclaiming the gospel and may we partner with them in really healthy ways and and may your church be built up because of this and while you're doing all this we pray oh father that you would not pass over us that you would meet with us in the gospel of jesus christ the one who was delivered for our transgressions would be made much of in our hearts, and in our souls. And we would go out from this place on mission to live for you, to be making disciples, to be doing intentional good to other Christians and, and to lost people, that they may know you, that they might be in awe of the gospel and buy you the gospel and give their lives away for the gospel. God, we pray that as you have begun this work, you would finish it for us. And I pray the words of my mouth the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer and our deliverer. Amen. Well, welcome. My name is Doug Payne. I'm one of the pastors here. Wow. Uh, when we started, there was not this many people here. It's so good to see you. Uh, I'm glad you trickled in. Praise the Lord for seeing you. Thanks for, if you're visiting for the first time, I welcome you. Um, and we would love to know more about you. So hang out, stick around, uh, meet with people in the church if you want to know more about the church. If you want to know more about the gospel, I encourage you to talk to Christians in this church. They'll tell you uh, more about who Jesus is and, and how we're trying to apply it. Um, just a, a few announcements for us. Um, our community groups that we meet during the, uh, during the year, we meet uh, in the middle of the week in community groups. It's you can talk to me more about it if you want to know. But they're turning into affinity groups. And so uh, affinity groups are um, uh, so, a, a group that is gathered around uh, so, something we have affinity of. So there's like a rock climbing group. Uh, there's a, like a coffee drinking group. There's book groups and mom groups. And there's other groups. If you want to form a group, let me know. Uh, and and uh, we'll get it approved and up there. But um, you can go on our website and, and check out the links or the branchboard.org. And, uh, and sign up for one, and uh, enjoy the summer in Corvallis. It's, it's more relaxed, I've heard, and uh, it, it'll be a good time to get to know one another. So if you have any questions, just ask me about it, or one of the staff, Sean or Jackie, or, um, or just go on our website. Also, um, there's a women's gathering tonight from 7 to 9. It's going to be here, and uh, if you have any questions about that, you can ask Bridget. Is Kayleen here? I don't, I don't know. 
if she's here or not. But you can ask my wife, Bridget, who's right there. I'm pointing at her. She's not going to raise her hand, but there she is. <laughs> you can talk to her. That's from 7 to 9 here. And then Ultimate Frisbee, we're trying to do uh, Ultimate Frisbee being a picnic on the last Sunday of every month in the summer. So in June t- on June 27th, we plan to do that. You don't have to play Ultimate Frisbee. You can just come and have a picnic. Uh, but I'm going to try to play Ultimate Frisbee and hope I don't get hurt. Because then that would, that would mess up softball, right, Josh? <laughs> we wouldn't want that to happen. So um, all of that, um, uh, it, you can see, see them in your announcements or you can go online. So I just wanted to announce all of that. As we're heading into the fall, uh, you know, we're just started summer, but we're going to be heading into the fall soon. And we, we hope to be back to doing a lot of things that we were doing before. One of those things is kids' ministry. And so if you're interested in serving in kids' ministry— uh, or, or if you're interested in getting some training, you can see Bridget or Joy. Ch- just reach out to them. Joy uh, and Bridget will be uh, are organizing that. And as we go into the fall, we want to make sure that that, that is really uh, something that we're getting after, again, discipling our, our children during the service. Uh, there's going to be gospel-centered, teacher-friendly curriculum. Right? That's a big selling point for those who want to be involved. Uh, you don't have to be a teacher. You can also be a helper. Uh, and there's going to be a training day at the end, towards the end of August. So if you're interested in that, please reach out, okay? All right. So those are a bunch of announcements that I just, I just threw in at the beginning of my sermon. Um, but we have come to hear about this King Jesus who was delivered up for us. In 1844, the French author, Alexandre Dumas, wrote his adventure novel, Count of Monte Cristo. It is, uh, it's the story of Edmond Dantes, the intelligent, honest, loving man who was a sailor. He, he was framed for treason against the government. He, is, he was taken to the Chateau d'If and imprisoned unjustly by the magistrate. And he was held in prison for decades for a crime he did not commit. Maybe decades is too long. He, he was delivered over because of the envy of three men, one who was envious for his job, one who was envious for his girl, and one who was envious for political gain, and saw the imprisonment of, of Edmund as a way to protect his family and his political career. So I've just whetted your appetite for reading the Count of Monte Cristo this summer. If you haven't, you should. Join the fan club, Trent and I and, and Bonnie. And has anyone else read The Count of Monte Cristo? Man, guys, you've got to do it. But what I just described was not only the story of The Count of Monte Cristo, but is actually kind of the story of a man named Jesus. We've been studying the book of Mark for over a year now. We have three more sermons left after this one. And we've learned a lot about this man named Jesus. He came preaching a message of good news. He, he came healing and teaching, and he's showing us a way back to God. The way back to God we've seen ha- would require suffering, right? Uh, one of the reasons we titled the series what we did, The Story of the Suffering King, is because the way back to God requires that somebody suffers for the sins of the world. And it happens to be this one, Jesus. The whole book is about the good news of King Jesus, who would take the place of many, who would suffer, die, and rise again, so that we could come back to God. So we are in this section called his passion, the Passion Week. Started in chapter 11 with his triumphal entry. And now we've seen Jesus go through much suffering already. In the last scene, he was before the religious Sanhedrin, the religious elite of the day, and he was accused of blasphemy blasphemy before God. This section tells us how Jesus is going to make good news out of the bad. it's, It's showing us the way of suffering. The suffering of the Passion Week is what the whole book was leading up to. Mark is giving an inordinate amount of, of, of ink to this one week in Jesus' life. Why does he do that? What's it all about? Is Jesus 
goes from the trial under the religious leaders to the secular court of Rome charged with treason. We have to ask, what is it about? Why was an innocent man and perfect God, why was he brought before these two separate courts and tried? Why was he delivered over to be sentenced to death? The answer has already come for us. Chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the next step in the process by which he will be delivered up to the suffering is being delivered over to the Gentiles. He predicted this already, that he's going to be delivered over for us, for our salvation, for the deliverance of many. The king was delivered up to deliver us. And that's going to be the whole point, I think, of this section. The king was delivered up to deliver us. That he might deliver us, he was delivered to the Gentiles. We're just going to look at this through, through as we've done in the past, through, through these scenes that we have before us. And in Mark chapter 15, if you're not there, turn there already. And I'll just give you the outline. It should be up there throughout the sermon. Number one, the king who was delivered, that's Jesus. To whom the king was delivered, Pilate. The reason the king was delivered, envy. Then we're going to look at the injustice of the king's deliverance. And we're going to finally see that the, the picture of the king's deliverance is our salvation, substitution. So, Turn to Mark 15. Hear God's word. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner from whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to him, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. This is the word of the Lord. So the king who was delivered, Jesus, why am I calling him king? Why have you heard Christians call him king in the past? Well, the accusation that was before him, brought by the chief priests and the elders, was this. Not only was he a blasphemer, Rome didn't care about that. They're not going to execute over blasphemy. But what they did care about was the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. And if there was anybody who was going to mess with that and call themselves king and set themselves up as an insurrectionist, they had to be dealt with. So they brought the charge to the Romans of treason. He says he is going to be the king. 
In Rome, there was no king but Caesar. Uh, there were many that wanted to overthrow the government. That was the very reason Jesus' messiahship was secret for so long. They didn't want the misunderstanding. He didn't want people to misunderstand. He didn't want the crowd or Rome to misunderstand what his kingship actually meant. It wasn't to overthrow Rome, but to give up his life for the ransom of many. The high priest had asked him if he was Messiah. Do you remember from last week? Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Knowing that Jesus said yes, they knew that they could twist it to make him sound guilty of not only being a blasphemer, but being treasonous according to the laws of Rome. Jesus' answer in the affirmative makes him guilty in their eyes. So the secret's out. Jesus believes himself to be king. And he did. He was the Messiah, the anointed one of God. He was there to do God's will. And so Pilate asked the question several times, are you the king of the Jews? This is the formal charge against him. He was claiming to be king. And Pilate uses the title again in verse 12. You can, if, you, if you look there, you can see it in verse 12. When he asked the crowd what they wanted him to do with Jesus, who is the king of the Jews. He's basically saying, he's your king. What do you want me to do with him? And the soldiers also use that title in verse 18 as they mock him. Hail, king of the Jews. Never was a mockery both so cruel and so true at the same time. He was truly the king that was delivered over for us. And friends, he was not just an accusation. It was the truth. He was the king. And you can see it throughout scripture. God, and especially God the Son, has been pictured as the king throughout the Bible. In Genesis, right? We, we see that he's the king over everything. Why? Because he's created everything. In Psalm 2, the Lord, he laughs at those that set themselves up against the king's anointed. Against Yahweh. Why? Because they... Because he, that's God, has set his king on his holy hill to judge. In verse 6 of Psalms 2. And who, who is that king? In verse 12 it says, Kiss the son, lest he become angry with you and perish. The king who judges is the son. And Colossians tells us that Jesus is that one. That he is the image of the invisible God. He is the king. Oh, you who are slow of heart to believe that all of the scripture is about Jesus. Jesus is the king, and the king has come to be delivered for his people. So Jesus came to rule, and as king, he rules in order to defend and deliver his people from all his and our enemies, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. The way he rules is not like any other king, though. You, friend, do not have to defend yourself and your reputation. The king offers up no defense for himself in front of Pilate. The king defends and delivers his own. And this is no king that stays home during war. This is a king who leads out in battle as a warrior. He goes out and he takes the heavy fire and he dies. And though he dies, he rises again and comes out the victor. This is the king who delivered us so that was delivered so that we might be delivered. So let us look briefly at who he was delivered to. Who is, the, who is the, this pretender king that would be delivered Jesus. You can see him in, in verses 2, 4, 8, and 12. Uh, he's named Pilate. And Pilate was basically a, a prefect. He was a governor, a prefect. Not, not like Percy Weasley, but like a, a regional governor. One person got that joke. He oversaw the charging of criminal cases uh, that affected Rome. So he had the power to torture, to scourge. You saw, you saw the word scourge in, in Mark. It's, it's torturing. 
he w- they would they would take a, a a bunch of ropes cables together and tie tie wood or bone or metal and they would they would lash the person sometimes to death they cruci- they wouldn't even have to crucify them because they would die he had the power to make these decisions and as you read you might be sympathetic to pilate pilate kind of comes across as a puppet of the crowd that we can sympathize with after all, he says, what evil has this man done? But that's not Pilate at all. Pilate was selfish, conniving, harsh. Josephus tells us how much he despised the Jews and wanted to make their life miserable. Friends, Pilate is a weakling that has none but his own interest in mind. And he is the antithesis of Jesus. He stands as the antithesis of the one who gave himself up for people. Do not feel sorry for him. He may say he washes his hands of Jesus in innocence, but he is far from guiltless. He's gutless, but not guiltless. And Jesus stands in stark contrast to Pilate. He is the king who is strong courageous, willing to do whatever is necessary, not to save his own skin, but to save his people. He's not conniving, but he is conspiring for the good of others at the expense of his own life. He was the true king, and he was delivered over to the pretender king, who has no authority unless it was given to him by Jesus' father. Friend, you may be like Pilate. You would like to wash your hands of Jesus. Not to say anything bad about him, but just to say he was a nice man. He did a lot of nice things. His teaching was great. But Mark presents him, Jesus, to you as the innocent king of the universe who stands in your place. The question is, what will you do with him? husband, Christian, husband and wife. The way Jesus was described as innocent, standing before, giving up his life, not conniving, but conspiring for the good of others. Christian husband, does that describe you? Christian wife, does that describe you? Mother, father, do you give up your life for your children? Son, daughter, are you willing to give up your rights for your parents? Brother, sister, does this describe you? Giving up your life for those you're closest to but have the most trouble with. Roommates, does this describe you? How do you respond when your roommate leaves dishes in the, in the sink? bed unmade. Boss, employee, co-worker, does this describe you? Giving up your life for the good of others. Friends, if it doesn't, I exhort you to look to the one who did that for you. He did it for, for sins far worse than have ever been done to you. I exhort you, I, I call you, I, I I plead with you to turn to him, repent of your sins, and then go make it right with that person. This is what disciples of Jesus do. Even when they're wronged, they stand not defending themselves, but like Jesus before Pilate, they stand in the place of others. So that is who the king is, who the king was delivered to, Now let's look at the reason the king was delivered. The reason the king was delivered is envy. You can see it in verse 10. I point your attention there. Pilate said, who do you want me to release to you, the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Envy. 
at the bottom of every sin, every rebellion, every addiction, every action contrary to God's will is a root sin. We want to be the king of our own life. Making our own decisions. No one telling us what to do or, or where to go or how to live. Friends, this sin, envy, this sin, idolatry, it was the sin of Satan. He wanted to be like God. This is the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. They ate the fruit God told them, not because they believe, not because of the goodness of God, but because they believed the lie that God was withholding something good from them. They wanted to be their own king, replacing God. And if we're honest, this happens in the church, doesn't it? We know it can happen in our church, but we, we know for certain it happened in other churches. You can see, it, it, read in the uh, New Testament epistles. Now, 1 Timothy 6 is a, a letter Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And he's writing to him, and, and, and one of the things he is, is, is telling uh, Timothy is to be guarding the good deposit of the gospel. Paul told Timothy that he was to guard this, this good thing called the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Saying, saving sinners is to mark the church. And, you know, even, even it's supposed to mark the relationship between slave and master. And Paul tells Timothy that the one thing that can come in and divide the church is envy. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, a different gospel, that Timothy was supposed to mark that. If anyone has an unhealthy craving, you know, in verse 3, if anyone has an unhealthy craving for controversy and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing at all. So what does that all produce? In a, what can that all produce in a church? Paul says in verse 5, envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicion. Instead, Paul tells Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. So Paul tells Timothy to flee those things. Flee the envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicion. Flee those things and instead pursue godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. All the while fighting the good fight of faith. How do we do that? How does Paul tell Timothy to do that? How would, we, would he fight the good fight of faith? He tells him, take hold of eternal life, which you were called, and, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul charges Timothy in the presence of God to keep that good confession, just as Christ Jesus did before Pontius Pilate. Uh, what, are, what is the way to, to fight envy in this church or in your family or in your workplace? It's to hold the good confession of Jesus Christ. In Mark 15, Jesus only says a few words to Pilate when asked if he was the king of the Jews. Jesus says, you have said so. The gospel of John tells us a little bit more. He, Jesus Expand, John expands a little bit more of what Jesus says. But, but Mark, what Mark wants us to know is that Jesus did not deny his kingship. But his kingship was not one that would take over the Roman government by force. You want to know how to deal with envy? Lay hold of the good confession of Jesus Christ. That he was king. But he wasn't a king that w would come to take over Rome by force. He was a king that came to take over the hearts of individuals and people. And to change them from envious to content. He would change those who once wanted to be their own king into people who were content and joyful to have the true king rule over them. He was the true king of the universe. 
So Jesus gives us the good example in his testimony before Pilate. He, the true king of the universe, submitted himself to the will of God under the hand of Pilate. This is how we fight envy and idolatry. We look to Jesus, who is the true king, and yet submitted himself to God's will. He was delivered up to deliver us. The reason Jesus was delivered to Pilate was because of the envy of the Sanhedrin. Now, maybe they wouldn't have said it. Maybe they would not have agreed, agreed with that, but Pilate perceives it, and it is true. The reason Jesus was delivered up to die on a cross was because of our envy, our desire to be the king of our life. There are two ways to live, friends. Be the king of your own life, which will result in disaster and despair. You will be punished like Adam and Eve who were kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of God. You will spend an eternity suffering the just wrath of God, barred from the entry into the garden of life. The other way to live is to acknowledge Jesus as the rightful king in your life. He is the king that was delivered up so he, that he might deliver us. Bow to him today so that you might be embraced on the last day. As Jesus stood before Pilate, in an unjust trial, and you're thinking, this is not right. This is not just. Even Pilate knew that this was not just. Then you're thinking rightly about this. The injustice of the king's deliverance. You know, the injustice of the king's deliverance is, is so obvious to any who read the text, right? wasn't as obvious for those who were living in it. But for those of us who are reading it and reading it rightly, there was no justice about this at all. And what happens next takes the injustice to a new level. I just want to do a thought experiment with you, right? Imagine yourself being charged with a crime you did not commit. Let's say it's corporate espionage. You were set up by your business partner who wanted to have the company that you built all to himself. So he sets you up, and he pays off the judge, and he stacks the jury against you. You were tried and convicted of a crime you did not commit. But imagine this. On sentencing day, the judge takes a poll of the crowd outside. And you happen to see the crowd out there. It's full of your former business partners, family, and friends, and employees that this man had paid off. The judge offers to let a prisoner go in exchange for you. The prisoner they choose is the one who actually committed the corporate espionage. He was in jail for murder and treason and against the government. And imagine the crowd choosing that person to be set free and for you to be sentenced to death in his place. Are you there? Can you put yourself in that position? It's almost unbelievable, right? But if you can imagine that, you are on your way to understanding the injustice that Jesus suffered. No injustice was done like has been done to Jesus. The chief priests stir up the crowd to sentence Jesus to death and release a murderer instead. The priests who were supposed to represent God, men to God, were turning both against man and God in recommending that the king die and the murderer live. Barabbas, the life taker, was to be released and live. In exchange for Jesus, the life giver, who is to be handed over, delivered, to die. This is unfathomable. And everything in us should be crying, justice. You want revenge, right? 
revenge like Edmund Dantes commits his life to. But we miss the point if we do not see ourselves in Barabbas. If we do not see ourselves in the crowd, in the priests plotting, scheming for the death of the king, we are those ones. It was our sin that nailed him there. So what do we do? We repent of our sins and we turn to God and we thank God that the king who would be delivered up so that we might be delivered. Friends, this deliverance is a picture of our salvation. It was unjust. It was the greatest injustice known. But unless it happened, we would not be saved. This is a picture of the king's deliverance, substitution. The picture of the king's deliverance in our place, the release of Barabbas for the son of God, the the picture that Jesus was mocked and beaten in our place, though he was the true king, is a picture of what he came to do. Give his life as a ransom for many. Why? So that he could reconcile the world to himself. Why was Jesus delivered over? It was a step in the process to reconcile the whole world to himself. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 5, when he talks about this ministry of suffering that he had been given. He speaks of what Christ's deliverance means for him and for others. And he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, he says, all this is from God. All this what? This ministry of reconciliation, this, this, uh, this ministry given to us by God, we, who are, uh, we have this ministry in jars of clay, this ministry of reconciliation, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. How would he do that? For our sake. He made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. He substituted himself for us. And exchanged our sin For his righteousness. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the message we are telling to the world. Be reconciled to God. He made the way through his son, Jesus. He tells you, friend, be reconciled to him. And then he gives the means for reconciliation in his own son, the king, Jesus. The way people are reconciled to God is through substitution. The innocent for the guilty. He was delivered over so that we might be be delivered to God. To God. From sin. For righteousness. Friends, there's no better news than this. There's there's no better news that we can be telling Sunday after Sunday. But not just Sunday after Sunday. Monday through Saturday. At our kitchen tables. At our workplace, around the water cooler, over coffee, at tried and true, at the shop, on campus, 
This is the greatest news in all the world. Your friends who are eternal beings and will spend eternity somewhere before you can be reconciled to God. It does not matter what they've done. They could be a murderer like Barabbas. They could have been handed over to the government for crimes they actually committed. Jesus is saying, that's not enough to keep my people away from me. The mission of the church, friends, is to tell people how to be reconciled to God. We are now ambassadors of this kingdom of reconciliation. We, we live together in an outpost of the love of God. Christians invite people into this life through this ministry of reconciliation. We invite our kids. We invite our friends. We invite our lost relatives. We invite our neighbors. We invite our coworkers. We invite our fellow students and professors and, and people all around the world into this love that we've been give, given. He was delivered over to hate so that you might be delivered over to love. So as we conclude, what, what are just some ways we can participate in this ministry of reconciliation? Brothers and sisters, one way is for the church, local churches like ours and the universal church as well, but especially local churches, is to give that picture of what reconciliation looks like. Brother and sister, if you have anything against anyone in this church, be reconciled to God. There is nothing a brother and sister has done to you in this church that is worse than being lied about, being handed over to die as the innocent son of God. Nothing. And God is saying, I will reconcile even that to myself. Let us be a picture of what reconciliation looks like, a united church around the gospel of Jesus Christ, where there's no infighting or gossiping or slander or malice, but like Peter wrote in his epistle, spit those things out like sour milk. Let's be an outpost of what reconciliation looks like. Because Jesus has reconciled us through his death, life and death on the cross. We believe that the best hope, we believe the best, we hope the best, we trust the best because Jesus has reconciled us to himself. Another way for us is to make our appeal to others. When is the last time you implored somebody? Maybe we don't use that word very much. When's the last time you made an appeal to somebody to come to Christ? God is making his appeal through us. He has said he's going to do that. And he, Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. This will take us building relational capital with friends and family before we implore someone to come to Christ. You have, have to have a common language. You have to have a relationship. But are we doing it? Are we building those relationships so that we might tell them about Jesus? We're not seeing them as projects. We're not, we're not seeing them as, you know, uh, potential church members necessarily. We're seeing them as those who need to be reconciled to God. Implore your friends, your family. Jesus is your only hope. Turn to him. And, and the last way... Uh, I, I was just thinking this morning, maybe God will call some of you to make this your full-time job. Maybe, maybe God is stirring on your heart to, it's going to be your full-time job to tell other people about Jesus in some way. Maybe it's as a pastor. Maybe it's as a global worker. Maybe it's, it's with the Navigators or Young Life or, or with some other organization where, that is giving themselves to be telling other people about Jesus and get paid for it. There is no greater privilege than that, friends. But you don't have to be paid for it. Most people are not paid for it. And, and, and it's a great privilege to be, to be working a, a steady job in Corvallis or somewhere else and, and, being, and using it to be as a means to be 
telling people about Jesus and, and, and the recon- the ministry of having the ministry of reconciliation. So friends, we bring a message of deliverance, not religion. Religion says, do this and you will be reconciled to God. Christ says, I have done for you what I demanded of you. So be reconciled to God. Friends, Edmund Dantes was no longer the sweet, innocent man that was unjustly sentenced to prison. He turned into the Count of Monte Cristo, using his wealth to plot revenge and to get justice. Read it this summer. You can find out how. But remember, Jesus, he used the wealth of glory to reconcile sinners to himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Friends, this ministry of reconciliation makes you rich beyond your dreams. It's given you more than you can imagine. An inheritance with Jesus Christ himself and all his people. Be reconciled to God and let us as a church be about the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling, helping people to be reconciled to God through the telling of the gospel. May we do it for his glory. He was delivered up so that we might be delivered. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use this in our hearts. I pray that many people would come to know you because the gospel is going forth from our lips.